Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be briefly looking at my 2006 honors thesis for the University of South Dakota. And this is a paper entitled The Hellenization of Christianity, a Defense of Open Theism. And this is uh, 52 pages and it's single spaced and so pretty dense stuff. But in the honors program in the University of South Dakota, we were able to pick our own thesis. And my thesis, of course, is on early Christianity. My thesis advisor was the head Catholic guy for the school. Like this school was associated with a Catholic, uh, whatever their churches are called, Catholic church. I don't know, cathedral, Catholic something. But anyways, uh, he was my guy and he helped advise me in, in building this thesis. And I think the thesis turned out pretty well. I think uh, some of the elements he added were not as good. He had me add this introductory section that explains what is open theism. I wanted this to be more scholarly, to focus on the history and then on the Bible. And so defending terminology to defend modern theological concepts probably not the best thing to do in a scholarly paper, but he had me do that for benefit of the reader. But uh, we'll kind of skip through here and look at my actual introduction. But starting here, the Hellenization of Christianity. And the Greeks were called the Hellens. So when you see the word Hellenization, that means people are turning Greek, like Americanization of the world. Things are turning into America. The Hellenization is people adopting Greek religion, Greek ethics, Greek values, Greek ways of speaking, the entire ancient world. Remember, remember, Israel was conquered by Rome, but what was the lingua franca, the language of the people? It was Greek. Greek, they're all speaking Greek because everything was Hellenized after Alexander the Great. But moving on, I try to introduce in this section some basic characters that we need to be familiar with. Number one, Plato. From Plato flows all theology. I think that's a famous uh, quote from somewhere. I don't got that quote pulled up right now. But he's the father of all philosophy. Called a god philosopher by Cicero. In his On the Nature of the Gods, he basically leaps, heaps a lot of praises on Plato. Ironically, it seems. It seems that he knew Plato was valued above all philosophers and he didn't really like Plato. And so when he's calling him like a god philosopher, it's it's criticism. It's, it's tongue in cheek. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't actually think Plato is a god philosopher, but Plato is just held in that such high esteem. But Plato is our main guy. From him flows all this uh, theology, all this philosophy that we will be dealing with in this paper. The next guy we got to care about is Plotinus. Now, it's not necessarily that we jump straight to Plotinus. There's there's other Platonists, other Platonists whose works we don't have quite uh, in the same amount that we have Plotinus, who also helped develop ideas and spread ideas. Plotinus was just a refiner of Neoplatonic thought that was popular in his day, and he became world famous. Famous so much, in fact, that he 
uh, influenced both Ambrose, the Christian Ambrose, who also counseled Augustine, and he influenced directly Augustine as well. So these Christians are taking their cues from Neoplatonists. So all these characters, we, we got we to gotta be contend with, we got to understand them. Uh, let's go look at this quote. F.B. Crocker has a book called Christianity and Greek Philosophy. And he has this quote from Augustine, which I can't locate, I can't source. So he might have made it up, but it, it fits Augustine's mindset. He says this, Plato made me know the true God. Jesus Christ showed me the way to him. Remember Augustine in one of the letters to him, that he gets praised by people who are reading his works and they say, in your works everywhere is Christ and Plato. These are the, these are the praises. They're praising. This is, this is a good thing to them because they love Plato and they love Jesus. And so you just kind of mix the two. And that's what Augustine did. He, he, he created a hybrid system. And there are people before him that uh, led the way. Clement of Alexandria, for one. But this paper here focuses on Augustine. So after introducing the characters, I also allude to uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin. Uh, the whole Christian world really is basically influenced by Augustine. He becomes the foremost uh, preacher, the foremost person to look to for theology, and he influences the whole Protestant and Catholic world at that. That's actually a theme I should have developed further in this. There's, It's kind of an important point. So even if we show that Augustine was thoroughly Platonized, unless we link that to the rest of the Christian world, he could have been a theological dead end, but he wasn't. He was influential. People cared what he said. People read his works. Even if at the time that he was alive, he was in constant disputes and wasn't necessarily the premier figure. His writings take off. His writings are preserved. His writings are studied. And he gets turned into uh, the church father with the most comprehensive systematic theology. This is what he becomes. So we start off with Plato, and I give a little background information on Plato. But we have to look quickly at Greek religion, popular religion, at the time of Plato. Now, monotheism did not start with Plato. There's, there's a lot of criticisms against the Greek pantheons predating Plato. And I might cover some of those here. But uh, his problems, Plato's problems with the Greek gods, was that they show passion. They show change. There, there's evil stories associated with these gods. And in the Republic, he introduces uh, a theory that gods cannot change because change leads to imperfection. Therefore, God must be immutable. He introduces us to immutability, to kill the passions of the Greek gods. Whatever doesn't change is the best. Skipping over to Timaeus, this is uh, about timelessness. Timelessness is associated with immutability because if you're subject to time, you're subject to change, you're subject to degradation. So this is what he writes in Timaeus. When he set in order the heaven, he made this image eternal, but moving according to number, while eternity itself rests in unity. This is the image we call time. For there were no days and nights and months and years before the heaven was created, but when he constructed the heaven, he created them also. They are all parts of time, and the past and the future are created species of time, which we unconsciously but wrongly transfer to the eternal essence 
For we say that he was, he is, he will be. But the truth is that is alone is proper, properly attributed to him. This language is really important. We see this again in Confessions when Augustine, in chapter 11, is talking about uh, God. God can't speak. When the, when the Spirit comes to Jesus he, and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well delighted. He goes on this big, uh, Augustine does, he goes on this big thing where, oh, these words couldn't actually have been spoken by God because they're, they're things in, in time. You know, they're sounds that are made in time sequentially. God just doesn't have those properties. Those properties do not apply to him. He's, he's adopting these values here, this timelessness, this uh, the befores and afters are incorrect ways of speech. He's getting this from Plato. Scrolling down, we are skipping forward to Plotinus. If, if this is more detailed and drawn out, I'd probably add all sorts of other figures that fall between Plato and Plotinus. There are a lot. And uh, Philo of Alexandria is a very important one. Clement of Alexandria. Origin of Alexandria. A lot of Alexandria names. Huh. It's almost as if... Alexandria was a Platonist hotbed, and and it was. So Plotinus, let's talk about Plotinus. And Plotinus was a Neoplatonist. That means he looked at the works of Plato, and he wasn't uh, innovating his own stuff in his own mind. He was just expounding on the works that Plato had already given us. And we did an episode on Plato, and we did an episode on Plotinus, in which Plotinus it doesn't, you, you don't, you can't just read Plato and get directly out of Plato, Plato's own theology. A lot of uh, his theology is hidden in dialogues between people, which it's, we have to guess what uh, Plato actually believed and what he didn't. And so sometimes you need to turn to Aristotle to see Aristotle's criticisms of Plato. And what Plotinus did is he defended Plato against Aristotle. So you, you can figure out what Plato believed from Aristotle and then uh, defend Plato's view against Aristotle, uh, views that you're not going to find written in Plato. And so Plotinus thought he was a true Platonist, defending Platonism, and that included things like timelessness. It included things like uh, immutability, yeah, it's simplicity. Oh, let's, let's read this. Thus the one is in truth beyond all statement. This is ineffability. We had a podcast on ineffability classical Christian value uh, taken straight from the pages of Plotinus. This is not this is not a biblical value. No one in the Bible says, oh, God is above predicates. Nothing like that. But thus the one is in truth beyond all statement. Any affirmation is of a thing, but the all transcending resting above even the most august divine mind possesses alone of all true being. And is not a thing among things. We can give it no name because that would pr imply predication. God cannot have predicates. God cannot have predicates. Uh, th this is their idea of who God is. God cannot even be named because that would create dependencies. That would create decay. Remember, back to Plato, what changes is not perfect. What God has to be is outside any potential to decay. God has to be perfect and immutable. And to be that way, you have to be ineffable. Plotinus, once you have uttered the good, 
Add no further thought by any addition, and in proportion to that addition, you introduce a deficiency. Even calling it the good doesn't actually give any information about God in the mind of Plotinus because God is ineffable. This is above being a concept. You can't even think intelligibly about who God is. This is the value set. This is the value set that Augustine, Augustine, he adopts. These, these are the values that inform Christianity for 2,000 years afterwards. So skipping down to Augustine, because this is going to be just a quick overview of the thesis. You could have the thesis. It's available on academia.edu, or uh, I could post it somewhere, maybe link to it. But Augustine here, let's, we, we just read Plotinus. Now I'll read Augustine, and we'll look at how the language is very similar, huh? The highest good... Then, which is no higher, is God. And consequently, he is unchangeably good. Hmm, sounds like Plato a little bit. Hence, truly eternal and truly immortal. All other good things are only from him, not of him. For what is of him is himself. And consequently, if he alone is unchangeable, all things that he has made, because he has made them out of nothing, are changeable. For he is so omnipotent, that even out of nothing, that is out of what is absolutely non-existent. God is the ultimate good. And there's nothing better than him. He's unchangeably good and uh, truly immortal. So, you know, a lot of similar concepts going on here. Change equals decay. This is why the material world is rejected. This is why Augustine believes that Jesus, the man Jesus, is not God. And this is what classical Trinitarian theology teaches. That Jesus the man is not God. Man cannot be divine because man has parts. Man is not simple. Man changes. And so when they say that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, they mean the fully God part of him was fully God and the fully man part of him was fully man. But uh, the fully man part of him was not fully God. That This, this, this is what they believe. Uh, and uh, you'll, once in a while, you'll find someone who actually admits it, who, who actually understands their own theology and is intellectually honest enough to answer on it. But that's their beliefs. Scrolling down, I cover his Manichaean past. People put way too much emphasis on his Manichaean side. He, he totally rejects most all Manichaean ideas. And the overlaps that the Manichaeans had with the Platonists Augustine, he adopts from the Platonists. He cares about the Platonists. And to ascribe it to Manichaean common culture is probably a huge mistake. For example, uh, d disdaining sex or something like that. That, that, might, that might be a Platonist value. And that might coincidentally be shared by the Manichaeans. But it would be a mistake to say that Augustine got that value from the Manichaeans when he hates the Manichaeans, he thinks it's a terrible theology, he utterly rejects it, and he loves Platonism, and Platonism shares that value. He got from the Platonists. He's a good Platonist. He loves Platonism, he loves Plato, as we as we have seen previously. This this he he just fawns over Platonists. He loves them. So in this paper I talk about the conversion of Augustine, which is his conversion to celibacy which uh, he attributes this with godliness, that if you remove all sexual desire out of your life, if you remove glorification of the flesh, you, you get rid of 
earthly passions. Remember, the material world is changing. The material world is corrupt. You need to make yourself the least corrupt you can. And to do that, you need to withhold fleshly desires. You need to overcome the weakness of the flesh so you can ascend into the spiritual realm. This is his conversion. His conversion to Christianity is a conversion to celibacy. And he, he takes his promised wife and he, he abandons her. He takes his uh, live-in girlfriend and he abandons her. So he, he just throws all responsibility to the wind uh, just to reject sex and to convert to quote-unquote Christianity because the sexless life is apparently the Christian life. I got here this uh, quote by him about the books of the Platonists where he's giving that fawning adoration. By reading these books of the Platonists, I had been prompted to look for truth as something incorporeal. And I caught sight of your, this is God's, he, he's, he's like talking to God. His confessions is straight to God. And so he uses a lot of a second person like you and your, and, and in reference to God, this is, this is a letter to God. Yeah, as it is known through your creatures, I was certain both that you are and you are infinite through, though without in extent terms of uh, space, either limited or unlimited. These are things that he learned from the Platonists. So in context, he's learning God's infinity, uh, his uh, perfection, his changelessness. These are Platonic values. You don't really find those values in the Bible. People like to grab words from the Bible. But they're not defined in context as these Platonist values. That's kind of an imposition on the text. I was sure that you, it is you who truly are, since you always are the same. Immutability, he learned, he's, he's telling us this is what he got from the books of the Platonists. And we really need to do an entire episode about this section. He goes over like five or six pages just talking about exactly we did a podcast on it. We did it. We, we read it. We read it. He, he, did, he got all this stuff from the playlist. But uh, he says here, I believe that it was by your will that I came across those books before I studied the scriptures because you wished me always to remember the impression that they made upon me. For if I had not come across these books until after I had been formed in the mold of your holy scriptures and had learned to love through familiarity with them, the Platonist teachings might have swept me from my foothold on the solid ground of piety. So he's saying it's happenstance. Now he's not saying it's happenstance. But in reality, it is happenstance that Augustine converted from Platonism to Christianity rather than from Christianity to Platonism. Whichever one he got first, he's going to convert to the other one. He's going to be wrestled away from Christianity when he looks at the philosophy of the Platonists. But what actually happened was he was a thorough Platonist and he got uh, swept into the quote-unquote love of the Christians. I dedicated about a page to his spiritual ascent in which he tries to use introspective meditation to reach the one. This is a Platonic value. You don't find that in the Bible. You don't find these introspective meditations to ascend levels of being. This, this is not Christianity. And then I move on to talk about his teachings. So I, I give a background about Augustine. I talk about uh, his love of Platonism. And we talk about his uh, quote-unquote Christian conversion, which is really a Platonistic conversion. And then I talk about his teaching. And I do quote that friend. And his this is uh, Nebridius. And he says that uh, Augustine's writings are full of Christ, 
Full of Plotinus and full of Plato. Full of Plotinus. Ah! The, 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 they admit it. Uh, they, they write in their writings all the time. They, they heap praises on the Platonists. And the only people who deny this stuff deny that Augustine was thoroughly Platonized, that uh, all these people were, are modern evangelicals that are trying to uh, rationalize uh, early Christian history. Uh, these people, in their own writings, they admit it. This is this is not guesswork. We're not just trying to connect the loose dots here and there. Well, this teaching is a little bit like this teaching. No, these people, they write in their writings. They say, these are the people we love. This is the philosophy we love. This is where we got our philosophy. And uh, it's like, deal with it. It's, it's, this is just history. We're, that's what we're doing here is history. Here's Augustine. Uh, this is a fairly uh, platonic uh, value that he, he expresses here. He says, the evidence is not obscure, but clear and obvious to every understanding and irresistible, the more so that no one can remain in ignorance of it, that God is incorruptible, immutable, liable to no injury, to no want, to no weakness, to no misery. Remember Calvinists, they, they grab that verse where God doesn't need anything made by human hands. And then they turn it into this Platonistic category where God can't receive from outside himself because that would create dependencies. This is the value set of Platonism. And Calvinists adopt it, adopt it regularly, that, that with, without flinching. They will adopt it and uh, call it their own. This was from one of his letters to the Manichaeans. In the nature of the good, he writes, But that is true eternity, which is true immortality. That is the highest immutability, which cannot be changed at all. For it is one thing not to suffer change when change is possible, and another thing to be absolutely incapable of change, so far as call it eternal, yet not as God whose alone is immortality itself and true eternity. So God is not capable of change. He doesn't have the possibility of change. He's pure actuality. I go on and I talk about legacy. Of course, that probably should be developed more because there's only about a page on his influence on John Calvin and not too much on the rest of the world. But something to develop at a later time. I talk about modern Christianity and pull up a lot of uh, systematic theology proof texts to show that these values are incorporated into the modern world. And uh, that, that you could look at any systematic theology. I have quotes from almost every systematic theology that exists. These values are echoed time and time again. These are values that are not going to be found in the Bible. And I go on to show that in the later part of the paper. So we're about halfway through the paper. And then there's a section titled A Critique of the Hellenized God. And I talk about actual biblical passages and the biblical support for the nature and character of God, uh, refuting all these Platonic attributes. One thing that I'd like to point out is uh, I don't think we've uh, even mentioned omniscience once. And so primarily, open theism should be focused at fighting just fundamentally the picture of God created by classical theism, where God is immutable, ineffable, perfectly simple, and God can't do things. God doesn't have potential to do things. He's pure actuality, uh, pure simplicity. God cannot do things. And it's, it's, it's interesting to talk to people who, who don't know that these attributes exist and are attributed to God, and you're, you're telling them these things, and they don't believe it at first until they do like some basic research 
And then they come to find out that this is what Christianity teaches. And they're perplexed. They say, well, well, God can't act if that's the case. Yeah, yes. Traditional theism, God can't do things. God cannot do things. Yeah, that's pretty funny because that's the Calvinists don't think God can do things any, either. So you're debating a Calvinist. And the Calvinist doesn't think that God can make a rooster crow. That's something... Uh, he, unless God controls everything, of course, but uh, really in Calvinism, God has no potentiality. So he's really not doing anything. But yeah, potentiality. If God has potentiality, open theism is true. If God can do things, open theism is true. This is not hard stuff. We, we should not be losing any debates ever with anyone. Uh, not about the Bible, of course, because the Bible protects God as a God of possibilities, living, dynamic, able to change his mind, change uh, his disposition towards people. He has emotions, strong emotions. His emotions really pour out in the pages. And uh, I, th I think I think we see that in a cursory glance. And it's it's very sad that people have to try to explain away his emotions. Oh, his emotions are not real emotions. They're like a light post. And as you walk away, you know, the, his his sadness grows. It's just like a relative statement. Well, that's that's not what the Bible is describing. It's describing an outpouring of emotion. He sings over people. He gets elated over people. He becomes sad. He becomes wearied and frustrated with people. Uh, th this is real intellectual change. This is a real intellectual burden. And they don't like God having burdens. Remember, that was one of the Platonist values that we covered already. Augustine loved Platonism. He loved these values. He didn't want God to have dependencies. He didn't want God to be able to gain things from outside himself or have things that he lacks. Like, for example, if a relationship would benefit God, if God would be a slightly happier, maybe just a just a tad, just infinitesimally more happy than he would be otherwise, God would not be perfect, right? If he could gain, no, no matter how small that amount, a little bit of happiness, God would not be God in their theology. Anyways, I'm pretty happy with how my thesis turned out. We, we talked a lot about history. It could be developed. This is this is only 52 pages. I, that, that is a lot of pages, but it really doesn't give too much room. It, it really deserves an entire book treatment. And then it talks about each individual attribute and goes over why those attributes are not found in the Bible. This is not going to be contentious to any biblical scholar, people who care about what the Bible says, what the authors believed, what kind of theology is being advocated. The only people, of course, that who this is at all contentious to are the shills, the, the people who, they're presenting a narrative about what they wish reality was. They wish that Augustine wasn't thoroughly Platonized. They wish he didn't gush lavish praises about the Platonists. They wish that early Christianity didn't bask in Platonism and love those values. They wish that it wasn't demonstrable and widely known by scholars of Christianity that the early Christians were Platonized. It's wishful thinking, and uh, we, we best. My best advice for people who want to live grown-up lives is to avoid wishful thinking. Reality is not optional. We have to deal with the facts as they're presented. We can't just make up our own. We can't just pretend reality is a different way than it actually is. 
reality is not optional. Anyways, that was just a quick overview. Uh, the whole paper is worth reading. I think it's worth reading. Sometimes I read my own writings. And I'm like, that's a pretty good point because you can't like remember everything at all times. And so you, you read a point anew, afresh, and uh, sometimes you're impressed. You're like, that's a really good writer. And then it's you. I don't know if that happens to anyone else. But it's pretty good. I would download it. I would read it if you have time. Anyways, questions, comments, criticisms. Uh, sometimes the criticisms are pretty good and it leads me new directions. So criticisms are welcome. Post that below. Start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening. <laughs>